welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. I'm ready for like two weeks from now when maybe I can actually come on here and be like, nothing happened this week. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. So let's see. Um, Where are we at in the world of things? Uh, We are. So you're, you're in the thick of moving. You're moving Mm -hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. So the next, well, the next episode we're going to try to record today yes. so that you could move next weekend and we don't have Not to worry, worry about, about things. It. And then, um, so the next episode that will be recorded like in your new place yes, will be episode, what is, so 90, 96, number 96. Yeah. yeah. So exciting. That'll be exciting. Yeah. Hopefully and we'll get an update on your house. Hopefully by episode 96, it'll be like, so we moved in, everything's great. And that's it. That's all, that's all the story. <sighs> yeah. It's a little time capsule. We'll try to remind, remind ourselves that nothing's gonna, you know, it'll be fine. No, no issues. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way I can get out of moving to a, like a different house, different state, like new New everything. Like, yeah. So are you at anyway. least gonna take some time off of work to do this? No. None? No, Matt's taking time off of work, but I'm not. Uh, okay. Cause I was just off for my injury um from last week. Oh, sure. How's then, your arm doing, by the way? It's good. The stitches are super itchy and I got like this rash thing that I don't know if it's like just a suture reaction. Cause you know, why not? Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it, so it's just, it's just itchy, but I think I'm going to take them out on Wednesday or Thursday this week. Oh, that's good. I mean, you're and, not in a sling, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not in a sling. They haven't been busted open. Um, itching's good. That means it's healing. Yeah. It's super itchy. It's just like I said, getting rid of this rash, but I don't think this rash is going to go away until the stitches come out probably. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, other than that, it's fine. Other than that, you're good. You started your new, you had a first full week at your new job though, right? Yeah. Which was a, it was, it was a trip. It, I, so, um, the first week I'm, I'm like in trainings, I'm, tra- I'm in training to be a trainer. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, it, you have to have some training time. And, um, the training location that I was at last week is like, it's like a 45 minute drive. Mm-hmm. Well, 45 mile drive from my house. Um, you know, versus the 12 to 15 that I normally do. So, uh, and of course it's the Bay area. Yeah. (laughs) It's not like it's a 45 minute drive. (laughs) So, um, so I was like, wait, I was getting up way early because I had to be there by like seven 30. Um, so I was like leaving my house by six 30 to get down there. And I mean, I think I made it on time all the days. Um, but yeah, I was just like, thank God this isn't where I normally have to go. Yeah. So, so commuted down there and 
traffic. I'm just sitting in an hour in my car, like not driving (laughs) all the time. Like my leg was killing me. I was just like not used to doing it anymore. And I'm, cause I used to do that commute for years when I was teaching, like it's, it's close to where I used to teach, but I was just like, man, (laughs) it's been like 10 years since I had to do that commute. Um, things have aged in my body apparently. Cause my knees were just like, ah, ah, commute. Um, but yeah, no, I, the, the job itself, like it was, it's pretty straightforward because it's the stuff that I'll be doing like for now until things like we're still very much like building everything. Um, so they went from two to four of us and previously it was just like the onboarding things for new employees. Um, so the first, their first week of training they're they're with us. So it's like filling out the new hire paperwork, um, getting them like logged into all the different things like payroll and time card and, um, learning how to use our systems, yeah. getting logins for that getting logins for emails, ordering scrub. I mean, it's like all the onboarding stuff. Um, so we did that. And then there's like, you know, there's, there's the, the, the PowerPoints that we go through, which is like, um, safety, zoonotic disease. Um, and then like towards the end of the week, we did some CPR training and triage training. Um, and then the last day, cause it's four days that people are with us. The last day we go into a clinic and we just kind of show them like some of the blood machines and just give them a kind of an, uh, overview of how things work. Um, so it's, it's very basic. Cause it, again, it's that first week, just orientation yeah. to, to us. It was very easy in that sense. Cause it's stuff I've taught before. Like when I was teaching at at the college, I taught first term and the stuff is very much like first term stuff. And I've been yeah. a hiring manager before. So I've like onboarded people previously. So none of it was like new really. It's yeah. just how, how to redoing it. And it was, it was fun. I have to do a little shout out, uh, Liz Houston. Thank you. Um, she was like 10 minutes, lives 10 minutes away from the training center. So she, she popped by one day with with donuts for us. Oh, nice! <laughs> so it was cool. I got to see her and talk with her. And so that was really nice. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then the last day, which was Friday, um, we met at my old hospital, which was nice. Cause I was like, I don't have to commute. Um, and we just went over some stuff and like had a meeting with the general like team. Um, and then next week I'll be at my old hospital and we'll have more people joining us because some of the others that were hired for the position were like a week behind me. So it was the first out of the three of us to kind of be put in that department. So I know at one point, I don't know when this will be, but in the next two weeks, I don't, it's not next week, but it might be the week after, um, we're going to have more of a, like we're all going to be together kind of thing and plan what our goals are as the department. And cause the goal is eventually to do like actual training for current employees, as well as like reaching out into the community and, and you know, that, that refer to us and do, you know, lecturing there, which will be, which will be really cool. So yeah. Yeah. Sounds exciting ish. I mean, it is, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I kind of told you before we started recording, I feel 
feel very over threshold with everything. So I feel like I should be more excited and I'm just like very overwhelmed and yeah. Yeah. I was telling Matt, I was like, I should, I feel like I should feel more sad leaving this house Mm. because like, I mean, we bought this house literally like right after we got married and then we had, we had both kids were born in this house basically. And now they're 10 and seven. Like this is Connor's last birthday today here (laughs) in this house. um, So it's just been like one of those houses that like we've been through a lot, but I'm not overly sad to leave it like for some reason. Well, I think because the place you're going to is going to be really, really freaking cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. It'll be nice. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm just ready to get it done. Like I feel like this week's going to just, I'm ready for Friday to get here. Yeah. The move, getting ready for moves, such a pain. Yeah. Cause it's like, I feel like I have everything in order and then I'll open a cabinet and I'm like, Oh man, I haven't even touched this one yet. And like, so it's like, that's what I got to do today. Um, it's just kind of get all like the little stuff. And like I said, if we record everything, then I'm going to take apart my office and right. (laughs) I'll see my microphone again in two weeks. So so sad. I know. I know. So anyway, <sighs> for busy lives. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. We did have a review this week though. Um, I guess kind of moving into the episode, we had <laughs> a review from Jay Kapur um, on Apple podcasts, aspiring RVT says, thanks for all the encouragement and light you bring to your podcast. I'm going to school now and want to soak up all the things. I really don't even understand half of what I'm hearing, but one day I will. This is a great podcast. (laughs) I love that this person said this because honestly, that's how I felt when I was in school. And I was like, I'm going to go to a CE. And I went to a CE at a local college and it was about anesthesia. Now, I can't remember if I was in first term or second term. I don't even remember, but I remember me and my friend, we just looked at each other and we're like, we have no idea what they're talking about, but we know Mac value seems to be really important when we're talking about (laughs) anesthetic gases. And it was just so funny because we had no clue what anybody was talking about, but we learned stuff. And then when we finally learned anesthesia, we were like, Oh yeah, I feel like it's is. very like wah, 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 wah. like when you're in it, like it's so true. Uh, but it's true, like even if you don't completely understand it now, like hearing it and that repetition, and then someday it'll click, and then you'll be like, Oh my god, I get it now. And yeah, I love that moment. I know, I, <laughs> and know. I still have those moments, which is also really cool. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. So thank you for the awesome review and dude, congrats on going to school and uh, soaking everything up. Yeah. We we promise someday it'll make sense. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) will. You just need that patient that it clicks with. You're like, ah, that's what that is. Very true. Very true. And we're super excited. This is, so I don't know if you guys have seen um, Royal Cannon is doing kind of a vet tech, uh, speak well, vet tech education this month in August. So August, 2021, uh, and we'll be doing a, a webinar and we're doing it 
um, normal cat vomiting, there's no such thing. So it is a little bit of a throwback to one of our episodes, but we'll go a little bit more in depth on it. And, um, we'll put the registration link in the show notes as well as we'll, we'll send it out in the newsletter. So if you're not part of the newsletter, definitely sign up because we'll, you'll get this registration link and we'll try to post it in our Facebook group. Um, but it's uh, Saturday, August 28th, 2021 at 12 PM central standard time. Um, so it's nice. Cause it's, it's, you know, it, yes, it is in the middle of a Saturday, but <laughs> we're hoping you guys aren't working. Um, and you can join us for this. Uh, so we'll, we'll Jordan and I are both going to be doing that. Um, and then we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll put the link up for you guys. Um, but yeah, we're excited to do that. Other than that, this week, we are not talking about cat vomiting. We are talking about (laughs) DIC, um, the overactive coagulation system. So uh, this is not yet race approved. I promise. I know we keep saying it. We are working on it. It's in process. It will be race approved at some point. So what DIC stands for is disseminated intravascular coagulation. And what happens is it's an abnormal or excessive activation of hemostasis. So the body's overactively clotting um, with generation of excess thrombin and formation of microvascular thrombi, usually in the like arterioles, capillaries, um, and just tiny vessels. So we're going to go into detail about that because I feel like I learned about DIC in school and it all went over my head. I was like, yeah, I, I remember learning about it and I just remember learning it was bad. <laughs> we had a like, DIC oh case uh, last week, right after I did these show notes, we had a heat stroke that was DIC. Oh, first dog I've ever pulled through like DIC. Heat stroke sucks so bad because it just makes all the proteins all like nature and all sorts of craziness and yeah their bill was super expensive yeah. and that dog was with us for six days oh uh, yeah that's bad. it was yeah i've had a, i've had a couple that have pulled through but it's not pretty it's seriously just like timing like i think we yeah. barely got to it in time like <laughs> yeah it depends you know? on how bad everything got yeah yeah so um So the anatomy and physiology portion, if we know our coagulation factors, um, coagulation factors and platelets are usually consumed, um, inhibited or like cleaned basically throughout the body, like throughout the whole coagulation process. So kind of, as I was saying about the heat stroke case, like it's not, it's not a simple thing to understand, like what's happening in the body. Um, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things. Like it's a lot of, (laughs) it's it's hard because yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And if, and a good thing to remember too, is going back to our episodes that we talked about. Yeah. Um, we talked about coagulation the coagulation factors and stuff, which, so, it, you know, a good thing is to remember to go back to episode 23, which is our coagulation episode where we talk about how coagulation kind of works in the body normally. Um, and I think we did touch on DIC in that episode, but we just a little, you know, we said <laughs> we'll be doing an episode about it someday. Well, it's someday <laughs> we're going to be doing the DIC now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not simple. It, 
you know, the, if you remember your climb factors, like the coagulation tree, right. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to like start with one and then work its way down. And if we're missing any of those things, then, you know, it, it doesn't work correctly or you get this weird case where like something gets triggered and starts the cascade before it's supposed to. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a weird, not usual clotting cascade system going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like it does begin with like a trigger, um, that activates coagulation and when coagulation is activated, that starts generating thrombin. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually with, within like the normal body, once uh, thrombin generation happens, it, it then becomes like contained. The body says, okay, that's enough thrombin. Um, and then there's specific inhibitors at this, at this stage of coagulation that tells thrombin to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, however, DIC, when DIC occurs, this, this stage can't happen where it tells thrombin to stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, the feedback loop is broken, right? Yeah. So, cause everything's kind of like going whack now, remember mm-hmm. to, we've, I know we've talked about it before there doesn't need to be a specific bleed. Like it doesn't need to be a massive hemorrhage. It's Mm -hmm. it's just general, like small things, movement and tiny little muscle tears from running or jumping, or even just general movement throughout the day. Those have tiny little tears and your coagulation factors are in play during that. So when we have a DIC case, what happens is normal movement of our patients is initiating like coagulation but thrombin isn't being stopped. So yeah. it's just consuming so instead and instead of like a little tiny clot that that's it. And that's all it needs. It becomes this huge clot and like fills up the blood vessels and doesn't, and doesn't get broken down. <laughs> right. So it ends up like all of your platelets are then just being consumed. Right. Yep. And so, yep. and all of it's being like, everything's being yeah. consumed. Your coagulation factors are being consumed. Thrombin's being consumed, but then your anti-thrombin isn't being consumed. <laughs> and like, yeah. Your anti-thrombin's broken. <laughs> yes. Um, so in the early stages of D- DIC, it's actually super difficult to diagnose because yeah. they're not having that bleeding. You can't tell that they're having little microclots throughout their entire body. Um, and there's not suitable, testing in order to detect that. So it's actually a hypercoagulable stage. So again, they're forming clots everywhere throughout the body because that's what's normally supposed to happen, but these clots aren't getting broken down. And then these clots just keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, so it's hypercoagulability at the beginning stages of DIC. And so, so would like, I know like PT, PTT doesn't show it, but, um, I wonder if like a tag or a, so we talk about it a little bit down in diagnostics, but it's, it's not overly accurate. Mm. Like nothing's really overly accurate at detecting hypercoagulability. Um, (laughs) right. (laughs) So over time, just kind of depending on the illness. And this is what I saw with my heat stroke patient last week there's not really control over hemostasis just because there's loss of those inhibitors that tell clotting to stop. Mm. Um, so the entire body system just gets overwhelmed. Things are trying to inhibit clotting, but it's not really working that well. 
And then the endothelium itself becomes dysfunctional because we know if we listen back to our coagulation episode, endothelium is super important for like platelet function and platelet adhering and inflammation just occurs and it stimulates all the tissues. Like it stimulates everything to just go off the rails. Yeah. It's hard because it is very much a vicious cycle. That's Mm -hmm. why, that's why a lot of times, I mean, we don't like, we don't like DIC and that's why it has the the nicknames like death dead in cage or death is coming yeah. because it's so hard to stop this runaway train. Once it gets going. Exactly. It, because so hard because now what happens is, okay. So we already talked about how thrombin just keeps kind of growing their clot. There's nothing mm-hmm. saying it needs to stop. It's that lever of the train that says to veer off this way, but it's broken. Mm-hmm. So it, it can't. Um, so thrombin just proceeds to just go about its normal business, even though it shouldn't. So DIC has now come completely uncontrolled. And what happens is where there's thrombosis occurring, the platelets and coagulation factors are being consumed. So during the stage, there's like tiny little microvascular emboli or thrombi that are forming the platelets and coagulation factors are just being consumed. So we have our consumption there the animal's still considered hypercoagulable, but then we kind of reach this threshold of being hypercoagulable to not being, to then being hypocoagulable just because of consumption. Um, because the body's doing what it's supposed to do. It's, it's fixing these little micro tears just from movement and, Mm -hmm. and daily life. The coagulation factors in the platelets have now just completely been depleted. And now we're going to run into hemorrhage which is, and it sucks because we usually diagnose it when it's hemorrhage. becoming the hypocoagulable state, right? We, we yep. don't really catch it before these patients have just depleted everything. So I think that's the other reason why it's so difficult to treat these guys, because we don't have a great way of detecting it before we're no. super depleted. <laughs> it takes, it takes being hypocoagulable for laboratory tests to become abnormal. Yeah. So, which is a really big bummer because usually once you hit that point of hemorrhage and hypocoagulability, that's when you have that super poor prognosis of our patients. Yeah. And so when we had our heat stroke patient last week, we got that patient pretty much like right at the cusp of hypocoagulability. Mm-hmm. Um, that dog checked in and had petechiation, but hadn't had any sort of other like hemorrhage until the following day when we started having GI bleeding. So we kind of caught it like right on the cusp of like, well, and I think the other part of that, uh, of a heat stroke is we just, we know that they're going down that train, right? Like that train track, we're like, this is probably going to happen. So you can start treating when they're hypercoagulable. And I think that's, that's what's nice about heat stroke. Cause I feel like the heat stroke dogs are the ones that will pull out of DIC. Yeah. Because that's what you expect to happen right. versus our pancreatitis dogs right. or any other. Cause we got to remember too. Inflammatory. Any sort of, or any, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any sort of inflammatory process can trigger DIC. Yes. Um, which is a super big bummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, and that's the hard thing is like, you don't, yes, it can happen, but you're, but we, again, we can't really test while they're hypercoagulable. So we don't know it's happened until they're hypocoagulable. And that, if that's when you start detecting it, 
that's bad because the process has already started. And we got to think too, that like, so even in these stages, so we saw that dog when he was pretty much hypercoagulable, but when we were testing things like platelets and stuff like that, platelets were low because of consumption. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean like DIC just like it, it, it's like that wildfire you can't get under control really. Cause like, so inflammation's the one thing that really triggers DIC, but then DIC then induces an inflammatory response within the body. Um, so it's just, <sighs> a vicious, it's a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah. So even though hemorrhage is usually the most apparent like clinical sign of DIC, there can be also effects of like hypoxic injury. So we can have respiratory distress. Um, there's an organ function. So we might have some elevation in liver values or kidney values, because again, there's tiny little clots, there's tiny blood little clots everywhere. Yep. We saw a dog Friday that had a clot in his spleen mm. Thursday. He wasn't a DIC. He was just a clot in his spleen. Oh, I, it, it's hard because unless the clot's big enough, we don't, we don't always know that they're there. No, no, no. This one was big enough. You yeah. can see it on ultrasound. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so it's, it, you know, we don't always understand what's happening because why are we having like all of a sudden an increase in like liver values or kidney values or, mm-hmm. you know, and then it turns out, Oh shoot. Like there's these little clots that are forming and, we, we can't see them, which is the bummer. Like the only way to really see these clots would be a CT scan. And but even then, if it's small enough, like you can't, right. These patients aren't stable enough for a procedure like that. Like that's just, (laughs) that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Um, and usually once DIC starts too, the end of DIC usually ends with, um, end organ failure, obviously, because, we're throwing little microclots and our organs can't function if they're mm-hmm. thrombosed. So, mm-hmm. um, and then they just start hemorrhaging everywhere. So that's bad too. Yeah. And when <laughs> we say everywhere, we mean like everywhere, their gums are bleeding, their nose is bleeding. Sometimes you'll see like scleral bleeding. It's scary. Hemoabdomen, hemothorax. Yep. Melna, vomiting. It. Yep. It's, it's really bad. Um, there's a lot of conditions actually associated with DIC. So I already kind of said pancreatitis because pancreatitis is actually more vicious than what you think when, at least what I thought when I was in GP. (laughs) Well, it depends on how bad it gets. Like if you've got a little bit of pancreatitis, eh. but I've seen some like necrotizing pancreatitis Yeah, and like, it's just, Oh, it's bad. I, I literally just had one, um, a couple of weeks ago and it sucked because, he had been in the hospital for a week and a half because he had his gallbladder removed because the pancreatitis was so bad that it like obstructed the gallbladder. Mm -hmm. And then, um, a week and a half in, I don't know if he went into DIC or if it was SIRS or both, it could have been both. Um, but he ended up just crashing and burning after a week and a half of looking relatively good. Yeah. Um, and then they ended up euthanizing because he started like just like respiratory distress and like liver values, like shot through. It was just, it's yeah. Yeah. And it was just a bad pancreatitis. So, um, other things 
we see, I don't know if you guys see this rattlesnake bites. Oh yeah. Yeah. You guys have rattlesnakes. Tis the season. We just saw a couple last week, actually. (laughs) Yeah. IMHA, ITP, hemangiosarcoma, because that is also a very vicious cancer. Um, there can be things like blood transfusion reactions that can trigger DIC, um, severe liver failure, because I mean, our, the majority of our clotting factors are made in the liver. So, mm-hmm. um, obviously overwhelming infection. So sepsis, there can be just like injury. So we've seen dogs like fall out of moving vehicles, um, say, get run over car, by vehicles. Yeah. We have a lot of dogs run over by golf carts here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, I think, I feel like that's just like a, this area kind of thing. <laughs> So um, protein losing enteropathy, any sort of like, uh, kidney disease, heartworm disease, Cushing's disease. So pretty much all of internal medicine can cause DIC. (laughs) All the things that you can be hospitalized for can cause DIC if it's bad enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's things too, that can mimic DIC, but it's not DIC. So like our, uh, rodenticide tox, uh, toxicities and liver failure can even mm-hmm. mimic DIC, but it's not technically truly DIC. Um, so yeah. that's fun. <laughs> it's fun being like, so what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. I oh. guess you would still treat it the same way though. As far as like liver failure versus DIC. Well, I'm just saying like, if you're having hemorrhage from oh, liver failure, yeah. Yeah. I was like, cause the rodenticide is not treated the same way. No, Thank I just mean like, goodness. like, yeah, no, if, just if there's hemorrhage from yeah. those two things. So there is a test out there called a D-dimer that can rule out DIC. doesn't necessarily rule in DIC. Mm. Um, and it's pretty accurate at ruling it out in dogs, but it's less reliable in cats. Um, which the is way- really funny because we never run these because they take three to five business days to get the results yep. back. And by then it's like, cool. They're okay. That's why they died. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. We don't, we don't run them either because they're, it's not, you don't get the answer fast enough. Yeah. So, cause like a negative D diameter test will rule out DIC, but a positive doesn't necessarily rule one in. Um, mm-hmm. And then here's your thromboelastogram, right? Where is it? Oh, there it is. Sweet. (laughs) Yep. So it accepts blood. It forms a clot within it. And then it measures the strength and the elasticity of the clot. So it does determine if there's excessive or like reduced tendencies to the clot. Um, With the reduced ability to clot, they dogs will have a much higher mortality rate obviously. I feel like, I feel like that's obvious. Um, and it can help determine a prognosis with DIC, at least in dogs, but it doesn't still doesn't tell us whether or not it is DIC. Yeah. It, uh, it's really interesting because the graph, you have to take it straight from the animal, put it in the machine, like right away, because what it does is it measures how quickly the clot forms Mm -hmm. and then how long it takes to break down. And it's, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's not a fast test. We're talking like an hour for the whole thing to run because it's like, it just lets the clot do what it's supposed to do and then measures it the whole way. And you get this like little graph thing. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's good for, it's good for like 
monitoring how they're doing um, mm-hmm. and see if there's an issue. Um, so. I guess it'd be good to see if you're like, if you know you're treating a DIC and you want to see if you're head, if you finally reached that point where you might be heading in the right direction. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Oh, okay. We've, we've calmed it down a little bit. Yeah. And then of course we have our PT and PTT testing. Now these tests won't actually be abnormal until patients reach the hypocoagulable stage typically. And what it does is it assesses like how long a blood clot or blood clot proteins take to produce a blood clot. Uh, And there's like a, we, we have a chart that we base our our time off of. And this test is much faster than the tag, obviously, because this should be, should be about 15 seconds for the PT, maybe at like a hundred seconds for the PTT. Yeah. I think it's up to like, is it 115 or 120 or something? Anyways, less than two minutes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. There are DIC panels that you can send out and what's typically run in a DIC panel that you can send out to the lab. Uh, I believe I got this from Cornell. It's an APTT, a PT, a fibrinogen, antithrombin, and a quantitative D-dimer test. Dang. Yep. So basically- This is a blue top tube. I'm guessing, do they freeze it? Not freeze it? Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So typically what will happen if it is DIC, it's usually a prolonged APTT and a PT- a low fibrinogen and a high D dimer. Again, this takes like a week to get back though. Right. Uh, (laughs) So apparently though, you can have chronic DIC, which the, this screening can actually be within normal limits, except for the D dimer might be high. What? What? No. Chronic DIC. That's what it says. Huh? Okay. I'm going to have to like research this chronic DIC thing because how the heck would you, I, mm. I feel like a, a chronic DSE is more really just like a patient who's just prone to excessive hypercoagulation, yeah. right? Like uh-huh. they're ne- they never actually fully reach the threshold to go hypocoagulable is my guess. Maybe we're going to have to look this up. I know. <laughs> um, I talked about antithrombin a little bit earlier because antithrombin is our natural anticoagulant. It it's supposed to break down clots. Mm-hmm. Um, antithrombin tends to be depleted usually during thrombus formation in active DIC because it's it's trying to break down its clot. <laughs> it's but like it, there's so it, many clots everywhere. I can't handle it. It's exactly like that. I love Lucy episode where she's like shoving all those chocolates in her mouth. Like she's trying to get me back She's like, I'm trying. And it's just spilling everywhere. Yes. Yes. Anti-thrombin is now Lucy. Okay. Yep. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I'm just good have this these image. Sometimes. I have this image in my head and again, another great t-shirt. I know we need, we need to start making some t-shirts. <laughs> some of our stuff. So I already kind of talked about D-dimer. There's uh, plasminogen, which is an inactive precursor to like um, plasmin. <laughs> we're, we're kind of getting nitty gritty here. This was like under the testing of Cornell. Um, but our, if we do test plasminogen levels, they might fall below normal range just as clots will degrade. Um, hmm. So you can test for it in DIC, but again, it's not overly 
Interesting. Huh? Yeah. Sometimes they run all the tests and you're like, but why? <laughs> I'm like, is that going to help us right now? Or is this it's just informational purposes? Only? It's got to be frustrating for doctors though, because it's like, you know, that yeah. all these tests exist for DIC kind of not really for DIC, but like you could do all this stuff, but in all like honesty and just reality, like the cost of treating these patients is worth more than the testing. Yeah. Like, because it's going to be expensive to treat these patients. Yeah. So you might as well put clients money towards the treatment versus towards the testing because testing can be so inconclusive. I feel like, um, I don't know how to, how to explain this. I feel like it's kind of like the human medicine treatment plan Mm -hmm. where in human medicine, they test for 5,000 things to prove something. And then they start treating (laughs) versus like veterinary medicine. We're like, we need to start treating. We're going to start treating now and maybe we'll get some of these tests, (laughs) but it doesn't help us right now. So we're going to so we're just going to start treating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so obviously, because we already talked about what all could cause DIC treating for their primary disease is always going to be the goal of like, at least trying to stop DIC. Yeah. Um, just break that cycle. Exactly. Like your goal is to be that stop sign and be like, okay, enough. Right. Turn around. Which is why like, I feel like heat stroke is like the quote unquote easiest because you know what it is. Right. You're like, okay, so we're not hot anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now we're just dealing with the fallout. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You're right. I, I think that's why DIC probably, cause like treating pancreatitis alone is difficult. It can be. If it's, if, if it's pancreatitis, it's bad enough to cause a DIC. That's a bad pancreatitis. Yeah, and then you've got to like pancreatitis. stop that whole process, which is never easy. No, because sometimes, oh man, sometimes you have like a pancreatic abscess that's so bad that it needs surgery. And it's like, you know, that surgery is also not the greatest option for those patients, but then surgery is what they need to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm going to see a pancreatic abscess this week. I'm sure of it. No, I'm sure don't do it. Don't put it out there. I think it's already out there. (laughs) It's already forming. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so transfusion therapy can be helpful in DIC. Just Mm -hmm. so there is fear that transfusions can just kind of quote unquote fuel the fire of DIC (laughs) just because a body's natural reaction is to be like, what are you putting in me? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not really, it is very much life or death. (laughs) Like You have to replace blood, especially if they're actively bleeding you have to replace blood proteins and coagulation factors with fresh frozen plasma. It's just going to be the best in, in certain situations. You can use platelet concentrates as um, like a bandaid in emergency situations, which is what we did in our heat strip dog. And it, that was really what turned the corner in that dog mm. was just being able to give it enough platelets for 24 hours to stop the GI bleeding before we bled further. Or did you do, did you do like the stable plates? Yeah, we did stable plate. Yeah. I I love that stuff before. Yeah. It's good for the patients that need it. Like, like these guys, right. That need it to help the body just like catch up. It's not great for like an ITP. (laughs) Nope. 
because I know they only last like 12 ish hours, right? That one can last up to 24 hours. Um, the dosing is definitely interesting. It's great for like splenic masses that need to go to surgery, but your platelets are only like 40,000. So with our heat stroke dog, that dog's platelets was remaining at like 16,000 for probably about 18 hours. And that's when we started having Melna and I think that we could kind of tell that the body was trying to produce more platelets, but they just kept going to the gut. Yeah. So it's just remaining at 16,000. Then we gave stable plate. And I think it was just enough of a bandaid to give the bone marrow a chance to be like, Oh, finally I can circulate some real platelets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I got a break. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. So like, (laughs) I think 12 hours after the stable plate, we got 40,000 platelets and it was just enough for that body to be like, okay, I, I think I got this. Cause then it went up to 70,000 and then yeah. we were like in the clear, like, Ooh. yeah, I like stable play. I think, I think it is good for certain situations. It's, it's good. F- and it's easy to give, you know? Yeah. I think, well, and we don't really have good alternatives right now. Like I don't, I don't have an alternative in California really. No. Which is a bummer. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there, there's anticoagulation therapy that can be used in DIC. Um, however, it's a little, mm, it's hit or miss (laughs) just because, so like in particular, like heparin therapy, um, where you give IV heparin to help break down clots. It's like, it's a blood thinner basically. So you're does running... it actually break down the clot or does it just prevent new ones from forming? It, it prevents new ones from sticking together and forming mm, clots. Okay. Um, it's Ooh. used in people. I feel like in animals, we don't really use it because again, you're on that like cusp of like hypercoagulability to hypocoagulability. Do you really yeah. want to make them more hypocoagulable? Um, that's my own personal theory there. There's, there's other things that we do use so platelet inhibitors where platelets just again can't really stick together like aspirin or clopidogrel it's not usually used to treat DIC we use it a lot more in ITP just because yeah. those patients are prone to throwing the, those like miscellaneous clots versus DIC is throwing all the clots uh, well, and I think clopidogrel I think it takes like two weeks to be like does. at a blood level where we'll actually start working yeah um so that's the other reason we don't use them in these patients because it's like if we're waiting for two weeks for it to kick in <laughs> Yeah. There's still studies. There's still studies definitely being done on whether or not like heparin therapy is good for DIC, but it's more of in the human realm. Yeah. I got to say like, it's a lot of symptomatic therapy when we're treating a DIC in hospital in veterinary Mm -hmm. medicine, Mm -hmm. it's just replacing those coagulation factors, replacing blood proteins, replacing blood, um, IV fluid shock therapy. It's, it's a lot of support. Yeah. The other thing that it seems kind of counterintuitive too, I think with these patients is corticosteroids, mm-hmm. um, because we're talking about an inflammatory state, right? It's, it's hard because I, corticosteroids is an anti-inflammatory, but, uh, they can inhibit fibrinolysis and promote thrombosis. Like we talk about that when we talked about IMHA ITP is mm-hmm. that corticosteroids, PRED, DEXSP, can actually make them hyper 
coagulable. So it's, it's a pain in the butt. Like we want to use it for its anti-inflammatory, but we shouldn't. Um, whereas like an NSAID can help with, or can inhibit platelet function. So which we should know just from GI bleeds that we get from, <laughs> exactly. from NSAIDs. Yeah. So it, uh, there's it's not hard. a lot of medication therapy. It's, no. it's a lot of like supportive, supportive care. You, you really just want to treat like the nausea and all the stuff that goes along with DIC, but it's really just uh, supportive care. Get them through it. And, it, and again, it also depends on like, what is the underlying thing that caused it? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because there are certain underlying causes that need steroids in order to get better. Yeah. Um, except for Cushing's, they have too much steroid. Uh, <laughs> All right. Which is probably why they went into DIC. <laughs> yeah. Client communication is really just going to be, it's very much a doctor talk. It's a very yeah. poor prognosis. It's expensive. Yeah. It's never guaranteed. Um, they can literally like rally one day and be dead five hours later. Like it's for sure. It's, it's, it's a really big, um, expense for clients to take on. And, and it's emotionally very draining for clients because, and us too, their dogs are very sick. They're a high level of treatment, right? This is a lot of, hard work goes into these patients and you're going to get attached to them because you're doing so much with them. Well, and you can't um, like, so you can't really take hard. your eyes off these patients. Yeah. Like it is, it is, it truly has to be one-on-one care. And like, it's just one of those things where you have to monitor that patient constantly. Yeah. And they're, they're constantly getting something too. They're constantly getting colloids or, you know, they're constantly getting GI protectant medication. They're constantly getting, to crawl fate for GI bleed. Like they're constantly getting something because nothing, none of the meds can all go together. And it's just, yeah. 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 I, I hate when patients go into DIC and honestly, I don't, I don't feel like we recognize it quick enough. Well, how can you, like, it's so difficult. You can't recognize the hypercoagulal stage, you know, it's like, I mean, you can sometimes, but not great. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's just like, uh, maybe especially what, I mean, they're just throwing microclots everywhere. And it's like, yeah, you might get that elevated liver enzyme or, or azotemia or something. Um, but you don't know why. Right. Usually. And you usually can't see those. I don't know. I just, I really like DIC the science, like the, the hemostasis factor of it really um, I really like it. Like, I really like the just physiology the ideal, of it. Yeah. But like, I but in hate reality, the disease itself. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's just, it's really interesting how the body does that. And it's just really sucks at the same time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, to me, DIC is quintessential homeostasis. Yeah. Right. Like everything we talk about homeostasis DIC just destroys it all, which is why it's so bad. Like the body likes homeostasis when that's not happening. You know, DIC is one of the consequences. So meh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say the caution cautions to really look out for on these guys is venipuncture. Yeah. You know, don't use a jugular vein. 
no, <laughs> oh, um, you know, just, just understand that they could be hyper or hypocoagulable. I think tip of the week, even though this is not a paid plug or anything like that is to look into stable plate. It is actually really good for some uses. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And uh stable plate, if you ever want to reach out to us and uh, be a sponsor of the show, we're not going to say no. Definitely not. <laughs> if you want to pay me to do We've talked to you guys, talked about it a couple of times. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. Good old stable plate. It really is good for certain, for some things though. Like oh, I really yeah. do. I really do. It's the tip of the week a couple of times. It's not something that you're going to use super frequently, but when you need it, it's, it's good. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's nice to have on the shelf and then you use it two or three times a year, Right. (laughs) but it has a long shelf life and it's so easy to give. Like it's just, you know, I like it. So stable plate, hit us up. What's the most interesting, like underlying cause for DIC you have seen? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Cause like heat stroke, I feel like it's very standard Mm -hmm. pancreatitis. I feel like it's very standard, but have you ever seen like a DIC caused by, I mean, a rattlesnake bite, I feel like it's pretty standard too. Um, wow just shoot down everybody's like cool things they've seen i want to know i want to know about your yeah i want to know about your necrotizing pancreatitis or your pancreatic abscesses i want to know about your cushionoid patients who just you know some of these people haven't seen any of this come on (laughs) all right all right tell me about all of your your interesting underlying disease DIC cases. And if you haven't seen a DIC or, or maybe you, you guys didn't recognize it at the time, right? What are your questions about DIC? Like what, what is it that you would want to know that maybe we didn't cover? There you go. Yes. Um, and just as kind of a reminder resources, um, we'll put them in the links in there, but again, like Eklund path from, from Cornell. Thank you. Um, and and uh, veterinary partner Vin. So those are, those are our two big ones. We always use those. I always use those. I mean, yeah. like such great like, resource. Such they great really, resources. really are. So. All right. Well, anything else we need to cover this week before we uh, press pause and come back in a few minutes to do the next episode? No. Nope. <laughs> All right, you guys. Have a wonderful week and uh, let us know about your DIC patients. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Such a great them. resource. Such they great really, resources. really are. So. All right. Well, anything else we need to cover this week before we uh, press pause and come back in a few minutes to do the next episode? Nope. <laughs> All right, you guys have a wonderful week and uh, let us know about your DIC patients um, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at 
internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.